you know, I'm working with startups or I'm working with companies that, you know, are doing 50 or hundred million or whatever, more than that a year, taking that approach to saying, all right, this is day one, right? Everything that's happened has already happened. And if this is day one, where are we going from here? And I think that sort of mentality inspires creativity and more of the entrepreneurial energy. Like no entrepreneur that I know wants to work in a company that culturally believes we've already made it and we've done everything that we're here to do. From ABC News Radio, KMET 1490 in Southern California, this is Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio with your host, Tyler Jorgensen. All right, want to welcome everybody out to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. I'm your host, Tyler Jorgensen, and uh, have a guest flying in digitally, uh, I think from Idaho, am I right? You are. You are indeed. Idaho by way of Florida, originally, I think from New York. I don't even know. We're going to learn a little bit about the man that is James P. Friel and what he does to help entrepreneurs and executives get the most out of their life and their business. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about who you are and what's going on. So thanks for coming out, James. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. appreciate it. So um, you're, you're known by a few things. You're the, the host of just the tips podcast, which is an awesome, awesome <laughs> show co-host. And, uh, and then you've got a, a consulting company as well as a couple of e-com things. Yeah. When did you first realize that you're an entrepreneur? Wow. That's, uh, I, I guess the difference between when I first realized it and when I actually like acted on it full time is like, there's a span of a lot of years in there. The first time I realized it, was uh, when my I was a kid, I think I was like eight or nine, uh, some, somewhere in that neighborhood. And my parents were out doing something and I was home by myself. And one of our neighbors came up the driveway and he was looking for my parents, seeing a knocks on the door. He opens the door. I was like, what's up? And, you know, he's like, parents here. I was like, no. And, and we just kind of stood there looking at each other. And I was like, well, is there anything else? Like, they're not here. And he just looked and I had this swing set in the yard that you know, I'd gotten for a birthday or Christmas or something. He's like, Oh, it's a really nice swing set. And I said, well, do you want to buy it? And he's like, Oh, you're going to sell it. And I was like, well, if you want it, he's like, well, how much do you want? And I was like, well, just make me an offer. And so he wound up offering me $75, which I thought was amazing. And I wasn't really using the swing set anymore. So, uh, so as he's driving down the road with this swing set, like hanging off both sides of his pickup truck, my parents pull up the driveway and they're like, what? why did we just see him driving away with your swing? So I was like, Oh, I just sold it for 75 bucks. So I think that was the first time I realized, uh, that I, you know, just sort of wanted to sell things and, um, you know, capitalize on opportunities. (laughs) So, uh, that your, your approach to situations was atypical, right? And that, yeah. Yeah. So now, and then you said though, it took a while before you really started acting upon it. Um, you know, going through, like schooling and that kind of stuff. Did you follow a more traditional route? I did Uh very, very traditional route. So I, I actually like, I feel like there's a lot of conversation in the entrepreneur community about how, you know, all entrepreneurs were C students or they were like, you know, had learning problems or just like bad in school. And like the only thing that they could do in life was to become an entrepreneur. And, and I don't, I don't relate to that at all. Like I, I was a very good student. I actually loved school. Um, you know, I was, I was good at it. You know, I was got A's and, and except for in music class, I got a D, which was an anomaly. And there's no reason I should be playing the drums now because of that. But, but so I did follow a very traditional route and went to, uh, wound up going to college to study aerospace engineering and, uh, 
loved math, loved science, loved all these things. And I was just like, oh, like if I go and I get a really great education and uh, then I get a great job, like this is going to be my path to, you know, success and wealth and everything else. And, uh, you know, I left school and I worked for some very, very large corporations, had some really amazing uh, roles in those corporations. And then after being in the corporate world for 10 years and always sort of having like a side thing going on, whether it was real estate investing or, you know, some other sort of, uh, you know, income producing thing, eventually I was just like, I got to, I got to get out of here. I got to like really pursue running my own companies full time. So that was seven years ago that I left my corporate gig. And um, yeah, but it was a very traditional path before I made that leap. Nice. And, uh, and so what was your first leap? Well, so, um, so again, I just sort of seized an opportunity. Um, I was at the time I was the head of digital strategy for HSBC bank, which, uh, which is a really big company. Yep. Um, and I think at the time we had like 330,000 employees. So that's actually more people working in that company than live in Boise where I live right now. <laughs> uh, just sort of put things in perspective and sure. <laughs> And, uh, and I had, you know, I had teams, uh, all over the world, uh, you know, Asia and Europe and North America and everywhere. And I was <clears throat> doing amazing and, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. My boss was the chief marketing officer of the entire bank. And I remember having this conversation with my grandfather and I was just so excited. I was like 29 or 30 at the time. And he's like, Oh man, you're really climbing the corporate ladder, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. It's, and in, and then he just paused and he's like, what if your ladder's leaning against the wrong wall? I was like, holy, like, really, dude? Um, yeah. All right, well, Way like... To sweep the leg. Yeah, totally. And, and, but I knew, I knew deep down he was totally right. So, uh, so I was sort of like thinking about it. And then I got to this point where uh, my boss and I were in this uh, conference room in London and, he's, and he looks at me and he's like, look, we want you to like move over here full time. We want to promote you. I want to eventually like groom you to take over my role and all these things. And I just looked across the table at him and I thought to myself, I can't imagine ever wanting your job. You know, right. If that's the next rung of the ladder, maybe I, it is the wrong ladder. Yeah. I knew. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. So, um, so he was, he was kind of like, well, listen, you either do this or, uh, you're going to, we're going to let you go in the next round of layoffs. And I was like, all right, you know what? So be it. Let right. me go. So I got, you know, took my severance package and then you know, trying to figure out well, what do I do next? And I, you know, I had uh, relationships with many, many different outside companies and stuff at that point. So I found this one firm that was based out of Manhattan. And I said, Hey, uh, what if, what if I came in as like, you know, a, a partner in this company, but I, you know, I only eat what I kill. Like, let me go out and let me start selling and like bringing in some consulting services so I wound up like the very first thing that I did, I wound up selling uh, millions of dollars in consulting services back to HSBC and other big companies. Um, and I was like, okay, well, this is like, this is really cool. So that was, that was how I made the leap. And fortunately, I, I like that. It's, it's a little bit of a hedge bet, right? Like you, you gave it on commission, like you're, hey, I'm only going to eat like what I bring in. However, I'm going to start with a little bit of a of a team behind me and an umbrella behind me, right. Yeah. To, to play, you played both sides strengths, which sounds like, you know, that's a nice way to start. Most entrepreneurs don't do it like that. They go and they pick, they hang their shingle, right. As, especially in the service based industry, right. They hang their shingle and they do every piece of the, of the, of the fight. 
Um, what do you, what did you learn from that strategy and that kind of taking that leap that you then, you now teach to other, uh, you know, entrepreneurs? Well, I think like you just sort of alluded to, um, planning is really valuable and I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs really plan things well enough. I feel like they're, you know, there's, it's almost, um, uh, like applauded and praised to be the guy who's jumping off the cliff with no idea how you're going to land at the bottom. Um, I'm not like that. I'm, I like to plan things out. I like to figure out what's, you know, what's coming. And, and obviously I'm not advocating analysis paralysis here, but I am saying like, Hey, let's at least have some sort of idea on if I make this move, what are the logical consequences that are likely to happen if I do it? Right. Instead of just like, running into something with this like irrational amount of enthusiasm and then crashing into a wall. Like, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's like very intelligent. So, uh, you know, so I, I am a big advocate for helping people see, you know, the different consequences and evaluating the different options and planning out where they're going with their business strategically so that when they actually execute on things more often than not, they get the results that they want and don't get blindsided by all the stuff that they don't want. And that's a big deal. So like it, what blows me away is how many entrepreneurs start without even really knowing what it is they want. They don't know. They might have a nugget, right? Maybe they wanted freedom from their job or maybe they wanted, um, you know, to be more creative, whatever it was, but they didn't then think about any of the other steps or the big picture. Of, okay. Now that you're your own boss, what are your goals for your company? What are your other, you know, cause they're, they're very, uh, narrow focused, right? Yeah. Um, what was, you know, as, as you started doing that, that's not what you're doing anymore. What was your next step? Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's always one of these things where every crisis sort of presents a new opportunity. And, and I think that it, that's the nugget of the entrepreneur, right? The crisis is an opportunity. That viewpoint is, I think what sets an entrepreneur away and, and apart from the person who sees the crisis as the pit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, like, what are you going to do? Like you're going to stay in the pit? I guess, I guess that's an option, but it seems like it's kind of a sucky one. And (laughs) it does, but people accept that reality all the time. (laughs) Yeah, they do. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, just like, uh, use, you know, I, I heard somebody say once, like play the hand that you were dealt as if it was the one that you wanted. And I think that's really cool because like, okay, well, there's a lot of stuff that we can't control. So why not just use the things that you have in front of you and, and turn them into something. And so so for me, um, you know, sort of that transition from then until now, that, that partnership that I entered into um, sort of fell apart and, uh, and, you know, we went our separate ways. Right. Um, and then I was sitting there wondering, well, now what do I do, right? So now I'm not selling back to, you know, these big companies that I have, you know, 10 years of familiarity with and, you know, key relationships and all this other stuff. And, and the truth was, I had really gotten tired of the giant corporate bureaucracy and red tape and like all that stuff anyway. So, uh, along the way I had, you know, picked up one or two smaller, uh, consulting clients that I'd been working with, you know, who were, you know, running, you know, multiple seven figure size companies. And, and I thought to myself, I was like, is it possible that I could start working with more of these types of guys, um, and, and still make the kind of money that I want to make and have the kind of impact and do, do the things that I'm really good at or do, or is it like just absolutely necessary that I work with all these big giant corporations that I'm sort of sick of and that's feel like they're sucking the soul out of me. And, 
Um, and so I, you know, I had, I had some great mentors at the time and, and I started looking at buying companies. I started looking at, you know, working with more entrepreneurial type companies. And during my, during my process of looking to buy companies, I, I found, I think I looked at like 200 plus companies over the course of like nine to 12 months. And they all were like indentured servants. Like all the entrepreneurs inside of these companies were like indentured servants, like shackled to the business, couldn't go on vacation, like couldn't have the life that they really wanted. Like all these things, their marketing was horrible. Their systems were worse. And, and I remember I, I had this, I took a tour like of a, of a guy who was selling a puppet factory. And I, I was like, well, he's making money. Like on paper, the business looked pretty good. And, uh, and I asked him before I left, I was like, well, like, why are you even selling like the business you're making, you know, good cash after, you know, expenses and like all this other stuff. And he's like, I'm my, my little girl is growing up and I'm not getting to spend time with her. Right. And I, I learned two things from that. One, I learned that I didn't want to buy his puppet factory. And two, that that was a really common problem that entrepreneurs were facing. And so a lot of what I'm doing now is really addressing how to liberate entrepreneurs from the company that they created in the first place to give them freedom and give them income and give them all the things they really wanted. But somehow or another, they lost their way and they wound up becoming a prisoner inside of this like highly paid job, which looks more like a hamster wheel. And it just, and it doesn't have to be that way, but most of them stay stuck there because that's where they think like how life is. So one would think that because the corporate ladder that you climbed was, was built on, you know, digital services and advertising marketing, that kind of stuff, that that's the part you'd be helping. But if I, if I'm right, you help more on the creating processes and systems within the company just to allow them to even the entrepreneur to even like breathe a little bit. Yeah. So, so there's, there's like a plot twist here in this story. (laughs) Right. All right. So, so what I did after I said, no, I don't want to buy any of these companies because I don't want to become the next indentured servant, the next puppet maker, right? The next puppet maker and in the puppet. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, man, it would be really scary walking around this puppet factory at night. So I was like, I don't want any part of it. And, and so I did get back to my core and I, and I started running a full service digital marketing agency for smaller to mid-sized companies. And we were, you know, we were running traffic, we were building funnels, we were running, creating backend automation, like all the, all of these things that combine marketing and technology and like online sales and stuff. And what happened there was that company started growing so fast that I, I wound up getting stuck in that business. And I was like, holy mother of God, like, how did I do this to myself? And I was working 70, 80 hours a week. I had this gorgeous condo right on the beach. But like the closest I got to the beach was sitting on my balcony while typing on my computer, looking down at the people who were actually enjoying the beach. Right. And I realized like I had inadvertently created my own self-made prison. And, uh, but I became really, really determined to figure my way out of it. So over a lot of, through a lot of trial and error, a period of where I, in 18 months, I hired and fired six operations people. Oh, wow. I, try, I tried every project management productivity software tool on the planet, like all these different things. And, and I finally just sort of like cleared the decks. And I said, you know what? Like going back to my engineering days, I was like, this is a complex problem. 
let me figure out how to solve this. Like, not just like thinking that some magic person's going to come by or some magic software is going to be the silver bullet that solves everything. And I wound up creating uh, some frameworks that really helped me systemize my own business and get out of that cycle that I was in. I went from working 70, 80 hours a week down to like 20 to 25 with the same client workload. My team was happier. We're more productive. And, uh, and I had no intention of teaching anybody how to systemize their business at that point in time. I just was like, I got to solve this problem. It was just built for you. Totally. And, uh, and I just figured I just keep on moving along, building my marketing agency. And ultimately a few people here and there, um, you know, kind of asked for my help. But the one that really got me, got me to raise my eyebrows was Russell Brunson. And Russell at the time was, you know, had just started ClickFunnels not that long ago. They had made, I think they had just cleared like the $10 million mark in annual sales. And he saw what I was doing and he's like, dude, I want that in my company. And I was just like, really? Like, it seems so obvious now that I figured it out, but. Yeah, now that, now that you see it all, it's obvious, right? Of course, it always is. And so I helped Russell out and created a tremendous result for him. And then he started sharing it. And at that point, I would have had to be stupid to not turn that into something because I realized between the buying the business, doing it for myself, helping Russell, all those things. I was like, getting stuck inside of your business is a predictable problem for almost every entrepreneur who's really trying to grow and scale. And so, so that's how we, we sort of pivoted. And I still have all the marketing stuff, but we only do it for companies that we own. Um, we don't actually like do that as an agency service anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I, I went through a little bit of a similar thing, except for all the ending parts, but where, um, you know, we were, I've been building my own, you know, e-commerce stores and websites for a long time. And we started doing that for clients a little bit. And when, when we started doing it as a, as an agency, I would reach out and I would talk to other people like, Hey, what's your process? What's your intake? How are you managing it? Because I'm like, Oh, there's gotta be other people that have these amazing systems. And I found like, no, they're all just winging it. They're all just figuring it out. And I'm like, oh, and then I look at the system that I built and I'm like, man, my system, I'm frustrated by it, but it's light years ahead of what these other guys are doing. Right. What, what is one like major piece, like nugget, if you will, that you would give what's just the tip, right? What's something that you would give someone, um, Hey, any entrepreneur, what's the one thing they need to know about processes or, or, you know, Trello or whatever that anyone can apply and just go do one thing to at least see a beginning of benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we have to get back to defining what a system really is. Um, systems in business are what give you leverage and help you actually get more output for the effort that you're putting in, right? Like that's all that leverage really is. And, um, and it's, it's funny cause I was hanging out with this guy the other night who, uh, is, recently sold this company for $2 billion. So he's got a ton of money and he looked at me and he's like, if I thought about systems the right way, my net worth would be like five times what it is. And, and I think that really thinking about what is a system and how do we implement it is something that's important. And so for, for me, what, what I've, what I've really bought into in my own companies and in all the companies that I've been working with is that a system is a combination of people of processes and tools all working together to achieve a common result. And, and all too often, like, and, and this is so obvious now that I've seen it, 
Right. Like I, I can go in anywhere and people like, oh, like, you know, we're working too hard or we're stuck here or systems aren't working. And I can trace it back to either not having people, not having people who are clear on what they're supposed to do, not having processes for those people to follow, or if they have people and processes, but they don't have tools to support it, then it's really not going to work. And so any area of your business that you are wanting to get leverage in, the way to get leverage is to put a system in place. And the way to diagnose what needs to be put in place for that system is people, process, or tools. And, and it really is um, at a very high level that simple to, to get to the root of the problem. And once you have those things in place and they're coordinated, just making sure that you're measuring what you expect out of that system so that you can tweak those three parts to make sure that the measurements are trending in the right direction and giving you what you want. So I, I've seen a lot of times where entrepreneurs, they, they understand that they need, they need people processes and tools, but they rely on the people to like fix the other two instead of them as the leader and the visionary, like creating all of that kind of triangle of, of effort. And, and, and so they blame the people, but the people are like, well, like, like you said, first of all, they have to be clear in what their goals are. But then if they don't know what the process is or they don't, have access to the tools, right? Those other pieces are actually what's broken. Probably not the person. Yeah. Um, how do you triage that when you like come in and work with the company? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple things that have to be considered. Like most, most people problems can be traced back to a faulty interviewing and hiring process. And, um, my, my story that I just shared about you know, how I hired and fired six operations people in 18 months. Right. Clearly at that point, I was not doing things the right way. And I would say maybe a couple of those people were mishires, but a couple of them were actually good people, but they just lacked leadership and direction on my part to, uh, to get, to get clear on what they needed to do. And so, um, defining, defining what that person's role is and what they're actually responsible for and how you're going to measure their success. Like those three things just to begin with make an enormous difference. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and even seasoned business people will hire people and be like, Hey, you know, they like see almost like they see somebody walking across the parking lot and they're like, you, like you look good. Get over here and see if you can fix this problem for me. Right. And without a clear definition of the problem, it's very, very difficult to fix a problem no matter who you are. And, and I think we have to, be clear on in terms of our expectations about what, what is the role, what are the responsibilities and how are we going to judge whether you're successful or not? Because most people really need that feedback and they need that at least those very high level parameters to be able to do a good job. So, so triaging that we sort of like peel back the onion and say, all right, well, where are we missing things in those three areas, right? Like the sub sub components of the system, the people, okay, digging into that, role responsibilities and measurements of success, like what's in place there and getting those set up. I think one allows for us to at least have a clear set of expectations about what we're going to accomplish together. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if, you know, depending on the size of the company that you're running, you do need people who are creating those processes. You do need people who are hiring other people, right. you need people who are bringing in those tools. But if the, if the, area that that person is operating within is not clear and they don't know what success looks like 
and they're not, they're not given that benefit of direction on any level. And it's just like, Hey, here's a problem. You go fix it. Well, I like run away to like every other mastermind that I can get my hands on. Like that's not responsible. Right. And, and you've got to care enough about the future of your company to set direction and have clear and uh, direct conversations with the people who are there to help you. Yeah. There's a, there is a tendency in some management styles to delegate uh, the expectations of success. Uh, like you, you delegate all of that away. Um, and then you don't, you're not involved on that. And then, but then when things don't go well, it wasn't you. Yeah. You delegated it away. <laughs> and uh, you know, I had a, I've worked with some people like that before and I called them the absentee micromanager, right? Mm -hmm. They would, they would not be present for any of the decisions and then they would, but then they were really quick to take credit for when things were working and really quick to be like, well, I wasn't involved in that decision if it didn't work. Right. And I think we all have to battle that as, as the CEO or as the entrepreneur and make sure we're holding ourselves accountable just as much as we're holding anyone else accountable. And we're staying, it's our job to paint the vision, right? We can't yeah. delegate. I would say you can't delegate, don't delegate your role away but delegate the tasks surrounding that, right? So like you, it's your job to create the vision. If you're the entrepreneur or the CEO, you've got to create that vision for the people um, and then make sure that, you know, you're giving them the tools and, and processes and people to, to actually deliver. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like in that case, it's not delegation, it's abdication, right? Which is, which is a completely different ball of wax. That is literally throwing something over the fence and running away. And, um, and I think as as leaders, it is on us to have the utmost integrity. And that means expecting ourselves to be clear in our communication. And that allows us to demand that other people are clear back to us. But if, if the demands only are like from you out and you don't allow those same expectations to be back towards you, like yep. that's when there's going to be lopsidedness in the relationship. And that's going to breed a lot of level of um, distrust amongst the people who are working for you because they're like, oh, well, he just, he just plays by his own set of rules, but he expects us to do all these other things. And we're not like, and that's not, it's honestly, it's not fair. And it's, and it's, it's not really poor leadership. Yes. It, it, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking of anecdotal examples of that exact thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, 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 and the thing is like, it's easy to uh, sort of laugh at those anecdotal examples and see those people but I think just like anything else, I believe this is a learned skill, right? This doesn't mean like, I hear a lot of times like, oh, I'm not a great people manager or I'm not right. great at like delegating or I'm not great at this. And for all, of the, for all of the people groups that you would expect to feel completely empowered to do anything they put their mind to, you would expect entrepreneurs to do that, right? They're like, at some point you didn't know how to make hundreds of thousands or millions or tens of millions of dollars either. And yet somehow you figured out how to do that, that what you weren't born with that skill, right? but people skills and the, the things that are associated with that somehow fall into some untouchable camp that, Oh, I'm just not good at it. And I think that's kind of bullshit. And I'm, and I'm, uh, and I'm like, well, you can learn, you don't have to become the best in the world at it. Right. But you can at least develop a skill set that enables that facilitation of great communication and goal setting and accomplishment inside your organization. Like there's nothing stopping anybody from doing that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I'm a big believer in leaning into our strengths as opposed to like just trying to always spend our energy fixing our weaknesses. However, there is that moment. There is that 
the kind of like the core strengths that you have to have if you're going to run a business that involves other people. And being able to talk to those people is probably one that you should work on if you're struggling and being able to lead, uh, lead with clarity. And I, I really like that, that, you know, when you kind of said that leadership has a demand, it demands that you have clarity in your communication because you can't expect that back. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think a lot of, a lot of the things you're talking about, which is interesting because I didn't really think we were going to go this way, comes down to growing as a leader, Right. And then allowing those things to trickle down into creating better systems and doing those other things. But none of those things outwork our own capacity. No. Right. And so, um, you know, you've, you've been working with a lot of really cool companies. I mean, you're currently, uh, you help some really neat ones and then, but you also help some, you know, some, or you've been working on a few startups and stuff as well. How do you still feed your, or scratch the entrepreneurial itch, even as you work on some big clients? Well, I think, um, for me, it's, uh, it's kind of like Jeff Bezos, right? So, so you read, uh, the letter that he wrote to his shareholders in 1997, you know, after their first year, like the ending, the last line was, this is day one, right? Every, every letter that he's written to the shareholders since then has ended that same way. This is still day one, right? Like we're, uh, you know, 2018 now. And Amazon is just, you know, across the trillion dollar mark, right? They're one of the only two companies in history to ever do that. The mindset that he has about no matter how big we get, this is still day one for our future, I think is a very interesting mindset. And so regardless of whether, you know, I'm working with, with startups or I'm working with companies that, you know, are doing 50 or hundred million or whatever, more than that a year, taking that approach to saying, all right, this is, this is day one, right? Everything that's happened has already happened. And if this is day one, where, where are we going from here? And I think that sort of mentality inspires uh, creativity and more of the entrepreneurial energy. Yeah. And if you're like, okay, well, like nobody wants, at least maybe there are some people, no entrepreneur that I know wants to work in a company that culturally believes we've already made it and we've done everything that we're here to do, right? Like that, that, that is the beginning of decay. Right. And, and as entrepreneurs, we're trying to drive growth and, and uh, it, you know, channel our passions and our energies into something that's going to, you know, continue to move forward. And so I think that whole day one mentality is super important, regardless of where you are, because it, it continues to allow yourself to believe in the fact that you're starting scratch every sing- from scratch every single day. And I don't know what could be more entrepreneurial than that. No, I I love that mindset. I think there's a big difference between putting parts of your business on autopilot and, and completely like complete complacency. Yeah. Uh, And so I think that's, yeah. Well, I mean like, okay. So like, you know, autopilot for me as a former aerospace engineer has a very specific meaning. It doesn't mean that the cockpit is unmanned. It means that the pilot is getting leverage and he doesn't have to do every single thing required to fly that plane. And for me, when I talk about, you know, getting systems on autopilot and putting your business on autopilot, I'm not talking about like going on a beach for the next six months and forgetting that you have a business. Right. I'm talking about being in the driver's seat of that business, but not having to pedal the car like the Flintstones. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there's a difference between those things. That's a big and, difference. Yeah. And, and so, uh, it's not, it's not running away from your role. It's stepping into your role and making sure that you have systems in place 
meaning people and processes and tools to do those things which really aren't your role, right? Like there are a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing as the person running your company, but you can't really do those things until you have systems that are helping you do that. And so it's almost like in order to get into the driver's seat and in order to put things on autopilot where you have leverage, you need to make sure that those other things are happening. But the pilot in the cockpit is still monitoring all of the instruments. He's still the first one seeing the alerts. He's still the one saying, hey, are we going to run out of fuel? Are we flying at the right altitude? Like all that, like he has, set, has things set up to give him the information he needs in order to fly the plane. And I think that's what, when I talk about autopilot, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it, it means, uh, I, I really like the, the way that you explain leverage and use the concept because you still have to be the one manning the end of the lever or the lever, or whatever way you want to say it, for it to get any result. Otherwise, it's just a stick and a rock. And yeah, so yeah. if, uh, what, you know, but to me, like business is, is like some of, we do it for the game sometimes, but it's also for me, it's about like, eventually it's about lifestyle and building the life that we truly want. What's, uh, what's one major item on James P. Friel's bucket list, not work related that you're going to do in the next 12 months? So we'll, uh, we'll go back to Italy. Um, yeah, I've been, uh, so this is the second year in a row that, that we've gone and I just love going over there and hanging out and, you know, just, I love the culture. I love the food. I love the art, the history, like all of it. And I think that, and it's interesting because the first time that we went, um, was, uh, was, I guess almost two years ago and it was a 12 day, like it was a 12 day trip. And, uh, and I was like, man, how am I going to like not work for 12 days? Historically, I've been terrible at taking vacations. And, um, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll see how this goes. And so I took 12 days. I, I had like two text messages with my team and one video conference with somebody because I just really wanted to say hi. And the rest of the time I didn't do anything. And when I came back, my team had implemented all sorts of things that like had been needing to be done. Like my clients were, were totally happy. Like everything was working really well. And I think it was for me, it was like one of the first times where I allowed myself to step into the leverage that I had created and come back to something that was working really well, if not better to be totally honest than when I had left. And so, uh, so I don't know if Italy represents for me that like that sort of aha, like, okay, I have created a certain amount of leverage that allows my business to work for me. But I think there's like a whole bunch of things wrapped up in going back there. So in the next 12 months, I think we're planning, uh, going back in April and I'll probably take another cooking class. I'll probably, you know, drink some more wine. We'll go tour some more museums and you know, that's like, that's sort of what I like to do. That's unrelated to, uh, to business. I love it. We, we just did, uh, I took my wife and my oldest daughter through Italy just a couple of months ago. It, it was awesome. Um, absolutely loved it. So that's cool. Um, want to thank you for coming out. Where can people get to know more about you? Sure. So they could just go to my, uh, my website, jamespfriel.com. That's F R I E L. And, uh, they can check out everything that's happening there. So we've got, you know, links to the podcast, just the tips. We've got, you know, free downloads, uh, you know, training information, like all sorts of stuff like that. And I think that would probably be the best place if people want to continue the relationship past today. Absolutely. I know, um, I know a lot of people that have worked with you and that have attested that the, the, your help and help helping them create systems has truly transformed their business. So 
please, if you're listening, go check out jamespfreel.com, get some of that, the free goodness. And, and maybe you're a candidate to work with James more. Um, you can, you'll figure it out there. But uh, James, appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. Uh, thanks for coming out and sharing this, your story and some advice with uh, other entrepreneurs. Yeah, Tyler, thanks so much for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. It's my pleasure. Now, my, my Biz Ninjas out there, wherever you're listening, it's your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio with Tyler Jorgensen. Please make sure to subscribe so you're first to hear new interviews and episodes. If you found this podcast to be valuable, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to visit our online dojo at bizninja.com to claim your reward for listening to the show.